On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our Catherine called Birdie listener polls, learn about historical fiction, and preview the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Hello and welcome back to this film's the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's another prequel episode. We have every segment, so we'll get right into it with our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. No new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners, and they are Vic Vicious, Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Air Elemental Cycle, Book 4 is out now, That Darn Skag, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much for continuing to support us. We love you. You're the best. Katie, let's see what people had to say about Catherine called Birdie. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, on Patreon, we had one vote for the book, zero for the movie. Mm-hmm. Matilde said, an easy choice this week. The book was original and made me laugh out loud more often than I expected. I would have loved it had I read it as a kid, but even as an adult, I liked it a lot and found it entertaining. The movie is an adequate adaptation, but it's also very basic. I found Lena to be a very bland filmmaker overall. The cinematography was nothing interesting, and the music was annoyingly distracting. Bella and Andrew were great, and their performances elevated the movie. I have a feeling it's all to their credit and not the directions. So yeah, voted for the book without a second thought. I don't disagree necessarily with any of that. I think uh, I, I agree that the direction of the film was pretty bland, pretty straightforward. I think it worked mostly because, well, I don't know, you can still, even with kind of what the movie is doing um i think you could have been there could have been some maybe more creative choices made in the mm-hmm. visual storytelling uh, it's very serviceable um there's definitely nothing like inventive camera wise or shot wise it's all kind of just you know what you would expect I, again i think it works for what the story's doing it, it didn't um it didn't stick out to me as particularly like bad or like overly bland but it is also nothing. There is nothing like there. I was never excited at any of the cinematography in this yeah. movie. Uh, so, yeah, it is, you know, what it is, which is falls as much on the cinematographer as it does the director. There's partnership going on there for sure. Um, that being said, I do think I, I agree. The performances are great. Uh, I think the I think you have to give some of that credit to the director personally. Um, I think. It would be a mistake to say I, I, a lot of it falls on the actor, maybe even the vast majority of it. But the director does play a large role, especially in film. The director plays a lot large role in kind of coaxing those performances out. And it wouldn't surprise me. I think that's maybe what Lena Dunham is probably best at. Like if I had to guess, because I think that she she seems most talented to me as kind of from the the, the little I've seen of her work of like kind of understanding emotionally where characters need to be where they need to be in Mm -hmm. a given scene. And kind of, I think the, I think in this movie, everybody was kind of acting from a place that felt very real to what their characters were going through. And I think that again, a lot of that obviously falls on the actors, but I think uh, there's some due credit given to the director in that regard, because yes, I would agree that what we're getting from 
the direction in this film. Uh, well, I guess I'll say this: if if she's not responsible for the uh, the performances in any large part in this film, then I I would agree there's not much to write home about. Because apart from that, I don't know maybe she runs a very tight ship on set. There's a million responsibilities that fall on directors, so I have no idea. And a lot of them <laughs> you don't really see in the final product necessarily. There's a lot of moving parts that go on with directing. Um, but anyways. Uh, yeah, I would agree there. The, nothing blew me away about what was done in this film from a direction standpoint, uh, other than maybe the performances. And again, who, it's hard to know how much of that falls on the the actors versus the director. And I guess in this instance, we do have a little bit of that because we know, or we do have a little bit of background knowledge because we, we know Bella Ramsey is great in other stuff. We know Andrew True. Scott is yeah. great in other stuff. We know Billy Piper can be really good in other stuff. So like our main performances or all people we know can be great and other stuff. So I think it is fair to at least be like, eh, I'm not seeing, we're not taking like some, you know, some, some sitcom star and turning them into like this deeply gravitas, like tur- having them turn in this deep uh, performance full of gravitas or anything like that. These are all, you know, established actors that know what they're doing. But um, although at this time, I will say Bella Ramsey at this point, first feature film hadn't done last of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, had been in Game of Thrones uh, significantly a couple years before this, uh, when they were significantly younger. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I again, not to re- I just repeat myself, but it, it is. There's nothing really su- superb to write home about from a direction standpoint. So I would agree with that. Yeah. Over on Facebook, we had two votes for the book and one for the movie. The Luciana said, "Voting for the movie since I haven't read the book." I went in not knowing anything, and so with super low expectations, and I was pleasantly surprised. Bella Ramsey is a delight to watch, and while not perfect, the movie was fun overall. That is a very apt yeah. <laughs> uh, review, in my opinion. Yeah. That is kind of my exact feelings on the film. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear that, like, not having read the book, you would maybe enjoy the movie yeah. a bit more. Yeah, but but because that was my experience, obviously. And again, I, I enjoyed the movie. Didn't blow me away in any mm-hmm. regards. Wasn't like, wow, that was amazing. Wasn't like incredible, uh, you know. But yeah, it was like, yeah, that was fun. That was a nice story. Well crafted, done well. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was funny. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but going in when I looked at the IMDb reviews, the score was like a 6.3 or whatever. And I was like, I wonder if this is going to be one of those things where it's like, but it had pretty good uh, critical reviews, like in the 80s or mm-hmm. 90s or whatever. Uh, or on Rotten Tomatoes, it was like in the 80s or 90s. And I was, I, was, I remember thinking, like, I wonder if this is going to be one of those things where the, the IMDb reviews are, like, all, like, 9 and 10 star reviews. And then, like, a bunch of, like, trolls because it's Lena Dunham. Yeah. Because it's, like, a feminism kind of message. Yeah. Like, do we have a bunch of, like, shitty people going in and, like, review bombing? And when I actually looked, because IMDb, you can click and look and see how the reviews break down. And that really wasn't the case. There were, you know, disproportionate number of one star reviews. But but there but that wasn't it didn't you could tell it wasn't one of those situations where it was like all nine, eight, nine and ten stars. And then a bunch of one stars that like Mm -hmm. averaged it out to six. The vast majority, the median score was like a six or a seven. And I think I would agree with that. Like, if I was rating the movie, I think I would give it, like, a six or a seven. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Uh, yeah, that's Something seems, that in that ball. Fair. You know, maybe a seven. Like, maybe, yeah. But, yeah, nothing, again, nothing that blows you away, but it, it's very serviceable, enjoyable mm-hmm. film. 
over on Twitter, we had two votes for the book and one for the movie. Um, Kelly Napier said, I don't think I've disagreed with y'all this many times in a row before. I went with the movie. I know that I read this book as a kid, but I don't remember reading it. On this reread, I found myself incredibly bored and having to force myself to get to the end of each month. I I could not disagree more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I liked about the story was the idea that kids should try and keep their whimsy as long as possible and not grow up too quickly, even if society is trying to force them to. It's something I hope all three of my kids take to heart. Stay young at heart as long as you can. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I will say I don't. There's definitely in the just coming up from it, having only watched the movie, that wasn't like the main takeaway I got from the movie. I'm not saying that Kelly said it's the main takeaway. They said that's what they liked about the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I could I could see what they're saying. There's definitely that. There's definitely a, a a big element in the story of a birdie not sort of you know yeah and uh, like not wanting to not grow growing up, up and... and and the movie kind of. I don't want to say celebrating that, but like um, validating that and validating yeah. kind of keeping what makes her quirky and, and what makes her birdie or whatever, um, which, yeah, I agree. is a good message. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have any comments on Instagram, but we did have some votes. We had three for the book and one for the movie. Um, so our winner at the end was the book, um, despite more of our comments being for the movie, <laughs> um, with eight votes to the movie's three. There you go. Um, But we're not done with our feedback yet Ah, uh, because we have a super special bonus follow up to Allegiant. Uh, So if you listened to the last prequel episode, prequel before for Catherine, the prequel, the prequel before this prequel, um, where we were following up on our uh, Allegiant Mm -hmm. episode, I mentioned that it had looked like we had an additional comment on Goodreads. Um, but then I couldn't actually see the comment. Yes. Um, well, we got a message on Goodreads after that episode aired um, from Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eric said, hey there, sorry for the confusion regarding my comment on your Allegiant post. I kind of second guessed myself and couldn't figure out how to edit it. So I just deleted the comment. Relatable. Uh, yes, relatable <laughs> content. Basically, I said, I'm a longtime listener and I listen even if I haven't read the book or seen the movie, and it's never been an issue before. But for this series, I was lost. (laughs) (laughs) We were also lost. So, um, other than the two main characters, I couldn't remember who anyone was. They seemed to die and the new ones would pop up all the time. Yes. Yeah. All the then all the similar sounding words for specific groups, erudite, allegiant, abnegation. I That's was pretty fair. lost. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. And I was glad to hear that you guys were a little <laughs> lost too. But with my original comment, I just didn't want you guys to think I was insulting your storytelling <laughs> abilities or something. Because again, I've never had this issue before. I think it seems like just a kind of confusing mush of a series. Uh, that That is a great description yes. of the divergence here. Yes. Confusing mush of a series You're, pretty much sums yes, it up. absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, anyway, big fan. Y'all are the only podcast I listen to. Thanks for your hard work. The only podcast? Wow, I feel just I'm honored. honored. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> I don't know a single person who listens to podcasts who only listens to one. I mean, maybe I do and I just don't know it, but that's yeah. wild to me. Because I, like, I listen to dozens of podcasts, but mm-hmm. 
that is it. You don't really listen to podcasts. I listen to no podcasts. Yeah, so you don't I, listen I, to like I can't any, focus on them. Yeah. I have a hard time like staying focused on it. And I also, which is part of the, it's fun. I don't know. Not to get into a whole separate argument. <laughs> it's okay if you don't focus. You're allowed to listen to them and like not. No, but it bothers me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because there are definitely some, there are some that I listen to like more intently uh, that I want to make sure I'm able to like concentrate on. And then others that I'm not as right. worried about like, you know, how specifically I'm able to listen to. No, it, it just like for me, it just becomes frustrating. So I just mm. don't really do it. That's fair. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for following up, Eric. We appreciate it. I appreciate your yes. comments. And again, thank you. It's what an honor. What a, what a, <laughs> what an honor to be the only podcast you listen to. All right, that is all of our feedback. Uh, but now we do have a learning things segment. It's time to learn a little bit about historical fiction. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, so we have done um, historical fiction before. Uh, our, our last book was also historical fiction. Um, but I realized I don't think we have ever talked about it as like its own genre. So I thought I don't think that might be interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, so historical fiction is a literary genre in which the plot takes place in a setting related to past events, but it is fictional. Right. Um, so although the term is commonly used as a synonym for like historical fiction literature, like books, that um, can also be applied to other kinds of narratives, um, theater, opera, cinema, television, um, you know, video games, graphic novels, basically anything, anything where you're telling a story, yes. this can apply. An important element of historical fiction is that it pays attention to um, like the, the social norms, the manners of the era, the social conditions and other details of the depicted period. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you're not always necessarily striving for like 100 percent historical accuracy, but you are trying to evoke this like mood trying and to capture yes, you're the trying vibe. to to capture the vibe of the era <laughs> yes. whatever it may be um authors also sometimes might choose to explore notable historical figures mm -hmm. through historical fiction yes. uh, i mentioned briefly um in the last episode the royal diaries series that was popular mm -hmm. when i was a kid um and that would be an example of that basically diaries exploring um the lives of of royal young girls yeah fictional the past. Diaries yes fictional voice. diaries yes. um but you know you have like a a fictional diary written by like queen elizabeth right. when she was a princess yes. that kind of thing um some subgenres such as alternate history or historical fantasy sometimes will intentionally insert mm -hmm. a historical or speculative elements into uh, a, a historical fiction piece. Uh, historical fiction can also blend with other genres, uh, for example, romance, mystery, horror, or even biography. I'd say it almost usually does. Yes. Like, usually it does kind of cross into some other yeah. genre. Not, not always, obviously, but very common. Um, so this, I thought this was interesting. Definitions differ as to what constitutes... Wait, real quick. Sorry. Uh, I just... You have biography on there. Can can mm -hmm. historical fiction be biographical? By, I, isn't that contradictory by nature? I would argue that the even the diary examples that we were just talking about constitutes a blend with biography. Oh, because okay. you're approaching the fiction from the stance of like, I'm writing about this person's life, right? Right. Yeah. So would, in that instance, would... Uh, 
um, Catherine called Birdie kind of be a biographical historical? Yeah, I would say I would say so. Okay. Obviously, about a a A a totally fictional person, but yeah. Um, So I thought this was interesting. Uh, Definitions differ as to what constitutes a piece of work as quote unquote historical. Mm -hmm. Um, So on the one hand, we have the historical novel society, which defines seems like experts. Seems like experts, subject matter experts, Um, and they define the genre as. Uh, works quote written at least 50 years after the events described interesting um, while critic sarah johnson delineates such novels as quote set before the middle of the last 20th of the last century and in this instance that would be 20th, but in this instance but... yeah that would be the 20th right. um, in which the author is writing from research rather than personal experience and then linda adamson and her preference to the reference work World Historical Fiction, she defines it as a novel about a time period at least 25 years before it was written. So we have some kind of some some varying yeah. definitions here. But they all kind of converge on the idea that it can't be historical fiction is not like so the year right now is 2023 when we're mm-hmm. recording this historical fiction would not be you writing about um, uh, the events that took place in like 2015. That would not fall right. under historical yeah. fiction. Yeah. Under and, and, their definition. Yes. And and I think like there's some disagreement on like, well, how long ago yeah. do you need to be writing about? Yeah, clearly all yeah. three of in these order, provide a in different order for this to be historical fiction. Mark. Like for me, I would consider anything outside of like the author's lifetime to be historical fiction like that's how i personally that would define it makes the most sense to me that if yeah. you're writing either outside of your lifetime or and i may even go a little further and say like maybe outside of like your like one generation removed or something only because like if i was right i get no no i would even say yeah because if i was writing about like the 70s i would say that's yeah, historical like, fiction. like I'm saying, like, like I could write something that's set in, say, the early, the late 90s or early 2000s. Yeah. And now as per um, all three of L- them. Linda Adamson, at least 25 years, like if I went back that far enough, she yes. would consider that right. historical fiction. Right. But I personally wouldn't because I remember that time. Yes, and the other two people. I was there, Gandalf. Be. No, I would. I would agree with that. I think that. I think that actually, yeah. your definition there that you. I don't know if you came up with, it, but um, I think that actually maybe of the three that we've kind of, or not definition, but of the three kind of category, you know, uh, rules delineate time delineations we've been given for what categorizes yeah. historical fiction. I think outside of your lifetime. Uh, the author's lifetime makes the most sense of like the to, three, Yeah, personally. to me, that makes the most sense. Like, if I wrote a book set in, like, the early 80s, yeah. I would have to write primarily from research. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't yeah. write at all from, like, personal experience or memory. Right. Yeah. Or, like, the vibe that I remember from no, that time. For sure, yeah. No, I, I would agree. I think that, yeah, that makes the most sense to me of all these definitions. Because otherwise it seems... Yeah, as soon as you got to go into research and and, and it's not something you experienced, it feels like, yeah, you're going into historical. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, So although this can sometimes feel like kind of a modern genre, or at least it does to me, 
historical fiction actually has a very long tradition in world literature. Oh, yeah. Uh, three of the four classics of Chinese literature are set in the distant past. Uh, classical Greek novelists, also very fond of writing novels about people mm -hmm. and places of the past. Um, the Iliad even has yeah. been described as historical fiction because it does treat historic events. Uh, Shakespeare's histories also considered historical fiction. Mm -hmm. um, they're also propaganda, but that's a learning things segment for another day. Yeah. Um, in other words, people have been telling stories about something that happened a long time ago for a very long time. Yes. But historical fiction as a, like a, a distinct publishing genre started to rise to prominence in Europe during like the early 19th century as part of the romantic reaction to the Enlightenment, right? The Enlightenment was like very forward looking. Mm -hmm. um, and when we got burned out on that, we said, okay, let's start looking back instead. Um, and that was especially due to the influence of Scottish writer Sir Walter Scott. Uh, his works were immensely popular throughout Europe at the time. Um, other authors whose names you might recognize that wrote historical fiction in the 19th century include Charles Dickens, mm -hmm. James Fenimore Cooper, mm -hmm. Nathaniel Hawthorne, mm -hmm. Victor Hugo, Alexandre Dumas, mm -hmm. and Leo Tolstoy. I think I've read something from each of them in my lifetime, or at least worked from think each of them. I think I have at least read excerpts from each of these. I don't know about Dumas. Maybe, I think. But yeah, I know I've read Hugo, I've read Hawthorne, I've read Cooper, and I've read yeah. Dickens. And I think I'm pretty sure I read Tolstoy in high school, college. But anyways. And historical fiction has only continued to grow in popularity. Um, it's grown kind of alongside the modern publishing industry. A few popular works of historical fiction from more recently include like the Outlander series, mm -hmm. um, which obviously incorporates like elements of fantasy. Yeah. Um, uh, Philippa Gregory's Tudor novels, um, The Girl Is that what the Tudor TV show is based on, do you know? I am not sure. Maybe. Okay. I, she wrote, like, The Other Boleyn Girl. Um, Which, that's a movie. Yeah, it? that's a movie. And um, what is the name of her other big one? I want to say The White Queen, but I don't know for sure, for sure that that's right. Um, yeah, she wrote, like, yeah, a, a bunch of novels, like, set in that general era. Of like the the heyday of the Tudors. Yeah, interesting. I I'm trying. I was trying to find it because I watched. It's been a long time, but I remember watching at least like the first season of the Tudors. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it, I just wonder. I was thinking maybe it was based on her novels, but I I wasn't. I I Google searched for eight seconds and was not able to figure it out, so I gave <laughs> up. But um, other other examples include the Girl with the Pearl Earring, uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, um, reimagining and reimaginings of Jane Austen's works like Longbourn and Death Comes to Pemberley. Mm -hmm. um, I feel fall under the definition of historical fiction. And you're talking about this is all literary. Yes. Yes. Do you, Obviously, do you some have those... do you have examples from other yeah. other? Well, genres? Memoirs of a Geisha was adapted into a yes, film. Yes, um, uh, as was the Girl with the Pearl Earring. Yeah, I mean, one that just jumped to my head. Because of Memoirs of a Geisha, uh, that was a film that we did, um, uh, The Handmaiden. Yes, so also historical, historical fiction. fiction. Uh, and um, both dozens versions of, others. of it. Yeah, 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 I'm sure tons of other stuff we've done would count. Or yeah. Maybe not tons, but there's... A and it is interesting. I think it's one of those things that is so common that we almost don't think about it. Oh, but yeah. then when you start thinking about it, that's like everything. <laughs> yeah. No, historical fiction is definitely one of those genres where it is like... 
it's like one of those broader yes like, it's very broad genres that is like yeah and then it like stuff filters under. down through yeah. lots of different things yeah um which brings me to my next little point here uh, it's easy for the definition of historical fiction to become blurry mm-hmm. um I, I think there's a general tendency to not think of older historical fiction as historical fiction because it's all old right um and then we add to that like some disagreement about what actually counts as quote-unquote historical and then all of our like blending and incorporating of other genres um and even sometimes including fantastical elements uh, and you get kind of very fluid parameters for this like all genre yes um i do think um that one of the most important things to remember about historical fiction, though, is that you are still reading fiction. Yes. No matter how well researched, yeah. it is still fiction. It's the reason it's called fiction and not nonfiction. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was made up. All right. Speaking of historical fiction, that's what we're doing, obviously, duh. That's the whole point. Why else would we be talking about it? So uh, let's learn now a little bit more about the historical work of fiction, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, the book. Miss Ashton? Yes? Have you always wanted to be a writer? It's a perfect job. Sitting indoors and always near a teapot. <laughs> Dear Miss Ashton, my name is Dorsey Adams. I am part of a book club, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. You did that beautifully. It brought us together during the occupation. Juliet, you cannot go to a book club meeting on the island of Guernsey. What reading did for these people. Finally, I'll have something serious to write. Can't imagine Mark would let you get very far anywhere. It's English Channel, not the China Seas. (laughs) Dear Mr. Adams, I so hope that you might allow me to come and meet your society. So happy to make your acquaintance. (laughs) Dorsey! Um, hello. Hello. You painted such a vivid story in your letters. It's so compelling. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society is a historical novel with a very long title. Yeah, just um, yes, co-written by American authors Mary Ann Schaefer and Annie Barrows. The book is set in 1946. Um, so we, this is a, a World War II novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it is an epistolary novel. So we have two of those back to back, although this one is not a diary. Um, it is composed of letters written from one character to another. Mm. Uh, So the primary author of this work, Mary Ann Schaefer, um, had planned to write a biography of Kathleen Scott, who was the wife of uh, the English polar explorer uh, Robert Falcon Scott. Um, But while and while researching that subject, she traveled to Cambridge, uh, but she was discouraged to find that Scott's personal papers were like nearly unusable. Like they just, I guess they just hadn't been preserved well or something. Um, And in the midst of this frustration, she decided to spend some of her trip instead visiting Guernsey in the Channel Islands. Um, However, when she arrived there, the airport immediately got shut down due to heavy fog. So she spent most of her visit in the airport's bookshop reading histories of the German occupation of the islands during World War II. Hmm. 
um, which I sparked the idea in her for this novel. Yeah. Um, however, it would be like another 20 years before she started to write anything about Guernsey. Um, and then after the manuscript had been accepted for publication in 2006, the book's editor requested some changes that were going to require like substantial rewrites. Mm. However, around that time, her health had begun to deteriorate. Um, she would eventually pass in 2008. Um, so she had asked her niece, Annie Barrows, co-author, um, who was already an established author of children's literature, to finish the editing and the rewriting of her original novel. Okay, I did see that there were two women credited yes. as the authors, and I didn't realize why. That's yeah, so so Barrows did that, um, and she is credited as the co-author of the novel. So Schaefer wrote like, Mo like most of it, of it yeah. um, and then Barrows went back and did like the editing and the rewriting that was necessary gotcha. for publication. Yeah. Uh, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society reached uh, number one on the New York Times bestseller list uh, for paperback um, in August of 2009 after it had been on the list for 11 weeks. Um, so it had a slow climb. Mm -hmm. A couple review quotes. Stevie Davies, writing for The Guardian, said, quote, Schaefer's Guernsey characters step from the past, radiant with eccentricity and kindly humor, a comic version of the state of grace. Good Lord. <laughs> I'm sorry. That sentence, I'm not a fan of the style, the prose there personally. Um, they are innocents who have seen and suffered without allowing evil to penetrate the rind of decency okay. that guards okay. their humanity. Okay. Stevie. Take Davis. it up with Stevie. Writing for the Guardian. I'm, look, look I, <laughs> I am not opposed to... Uh, you know, some flowery prose, flowery prose but <laughs> there's something about that specific style that just does not, I find very grating. I don't know what it is. I just find it incredibly grating. Anyways, <laughs> Publishers sorry. Weekly said of the book, quote, the occasionally contrived letters jump from incident to incident including the formation of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, while Guernsey was under German occupation and person to person in a manner that feels disjointed. But Juliet's quips are so clever, the Guernsey inhabit inhabitants so enchanting, and the small acts of heroism so vivid and moving that one forgives the authors for not being able to settle on a single person or plot. And our last quote here, Kirkus Reviews said of the book, quote, Elizabeth and Juliet are appealingly reminiscent of game but gutsy 40s movie heroines. The engrossing subject matter and lively writing make this a sure winner, perhaps fodder for a TV series. <sighs> Little did they know. Which makes me very interested to see if I think that this book would be better adapted for TV yeah, I guess than we'll a see. movie. We'll find out. I guess we will see. Well, what we got was a movie, so let's learn a little bit about it. You are not what I expected. <laughs> How did you imagine me, Mr. Adams? Juliet! Ah. My life's in London. There's nothing to keep you here. We were still right to each other, weren't we? Yes, of course. Is my mistake bringing you back too quickly? 
I'm afraid. I've seen you reach for what you want. You have that courage. If books do have the power to bring people together, this one may work its magic. Do you suppose it's possible for us to already belong to someone before we've met them? If so, I belong to the spirit I found among you on Guernsey. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society is a 2018 film directed by Mike Newell, who did Four Weddings and a Funeral, and most notably to maybe our listeners, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Donnie Brasco, and Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, among others. It was written by Don Roos, who did The Opposite of Sex and Happy Endings, Kevin Hood, who did uh, Becoming Jane and A Royal Night Out, and Thomas Bazooka, I assume that's how his name is, <laughs> B-E-Z-U-C-H-A, Bazooka, I don't know how else this I would say it. could be Bazooka, I guess. Um, yeah, maybe, I guess. I think it's Bazooka, but um, who wrote Let Him Go, Big Eden, and The Family Stone. The film stars Lily James, Michael Hoisman, Glenn Powell, Jessica Brown Findlay, or Findlay, I actually never know. I always read it in my head as Findlay, but I don't, I'm sure it's just Findlay. Uh, Catherine Parkinson, Matthew Good, Tom Courtney, Penelope Wilton, Bronau Gallagher, and Kit Connor. The film has an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 65 on Metacritic, and a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It made $23 million against a supposed budget of $85 million. I was only Ooh. able to confirm that $85 million in one place, so I'm not 100% positive. That seems like a really high yeah, budget. Yeah, that's rough. That's a, well, it's a huge budget for a movie like this, because yeah. I also believe, I don't know, that seems, I won't say it's a huge budget. That's a pretty big budget for a movie of this I would think this would be more like a 30 to 50 million, but who knows? I, you know, there's not huge stars. I wouldn't imagine there's right. a ton of special effects inside. Like, it just doesn't strike me as a movie that would be super expensive, but I could be wrong. And again, this was not on that, that budget was not on Wikipedia. I was, I did some searching and found some production website that mm -hmm. s supposedly had the budget. Um, it doesn't surprise me that it would have lost money, uh, mainly because I, uh, who had ever heard of this, but. Um, I say that I know people had it and it was a New York Times bestseller, but it's like a very niche audience, you know. Yeah, it's a, a little, a little niche more audience. niche than some of the other stuff yeah. that we and, do. And, and you're not going to get much wide ranging appeal with the title of your movie being right. the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Like, you're sorry, yeah. it's not going to draw in a lot of general audiences. It, it is interesting to me because I don't even mind that title for a book. Yeah. Especially like a historical fiction where like, you know who you're selling this to. Right. But it is interesting to me that they didn't even attempt to change it for the movie. I was thinking about that, um, and I wasn't able to find anything about why they didn't. Uh, I didn't. I actually didn't like look for that specifically, but I didn't see anything about why they didn't change the title. Because I was thinking about the same thing. I was like, why would you use that title? And the only thing I can think is that it was a New York Times bestseller. Mm -hmm. So there is at least some audience built in. Now, New York Times bestseller can mean a lot. It doesn't necessarily mean that this right. book was like a... But, it was a New York Times bestseller, so there is, you know, it had an audience, and I, I could see, I don't know what you, again, without having seen the movie, I guess, I don't know what you change the title to yeah. that remotely evokes the original title, but is less clunky. Like, so for a lot of times when you, when you, there, you know, there, there are movies that we do based on books where they will change the title slightly by, like, dropping a word or two, mm -hmm. or, like, just kind of tweaking slightly. In, in a way that feels kind of punchier than maybe the book title was. 
I don't know how you would do that for this. I don't think there's a I don't think there's a, a shortened, punchier version of the same title. You would just yeah. have to change the title entirely. And if you do that, you may lose out some of your built in audience. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, I guess, maybe the concern is that if you make it something more generic and bland, like um, the island war or something, <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Like, right. yeah. like something, some like, you know, come up with whatever clever, like kind of punchy historical drama name you, title you can think of. It would be unrelated to what the name of the book is. Yeah, probably. And if you did that, and if, but if you don't want to do that, if you want to like just punch up, like basically punch up the book's title, I can't imagine what you would do. Like you could just call it the Guernsey Literary Society, but that's just boring. as boring. Like yeah. a, a potato peel pie is at least like a, an interesting, quirky, like what does that mean right. thing? And if you just make it the <laughs> potato, potato peel pie society, you're like, what? Like, I just don't know if there's a way to punch it up. So I think they yeah. were like, screw it. We're just no, going to leave it yeah, the same. No, I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. And I agree. It's still interesting yes. to me. I bet there were a lot of conversations yes. had about Yes. It. That is a thing that I feel like was discussed a bajillion <laughs> times in, before this movie came out was what the heck do we call this thing? I guarantee that. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of, the movie did have a long road to release. So in 2010... Producer Paula Mazur announced that there uh, that a script based on the 2008 novel had been picked up by Fox 2000 uh, Pictures, and at that time, several actresses were mentioned as potential cast members. They included Kate Winslet, Anne Hathaway, and Emily Blunt, obviously big stars of you know 2008 mm. or 2010. Uh, then in 2011, it was announced that Kenneth Branagh would direct the film, mm. and in 2012, Kate Winslet was signed on to star as the lead, uh, Juliet Ashton. But then, a few months later, filming got delayed because of scheduling conflicts, and in 2013, Kate Winslet and Kenneth Branagh both dropped out of the project. And then shortly thereafter, Michelle Dockery, who's most known for uh, Downton Abbey, was offered the lead role, but she ended up declining it. The movie would then go into limbo for quite a few years before eventually Mike Newell would be signed on to direct in 2016 with Rosamund Pike rumored to be the lead in the film. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, but then finally, in October 2016, Lily James was confirmed as Juliet, the lead in the film. And the film finally entered pre-production in January of 2017 with filming set to start in the spring of that year. Uh, the film was actually not shot in Guernsey, even though there was a lot of talk about it from uh, producers and stuff ahead of time about how they thought that would make the most sense, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and instead, they opted to primarily film in Cloverley in North Devon, uh, as well as some of the other small towns and studios uh, in the UK. But uh, they did not film anything from that, what I was able to gather either in Guernsey uh, or Jersey, which is right mm. next to it. So, Which I had never heard of Guernsey. Me either. I was aware of Jersey. Yeah. I knew Jersey existed. It's funny because I was like, where is, I don't even know what Guernsey is. And then I looked, I was like, oh, it's a little island. And I was like, oh, it's like right next to Jersey. Why have I heard of Jersey and never heard of Guernsey? That's very strange. Um, I know of Jersey because it's, uh, it, it pops up randomly quite a bit. If you play the, the uh, game GeoGuessr, where you get put on like a Google Maps, like Google hmm. Street View and have to figure out where you are. Jersey, for whatever reason, pops yeah. up pretty regularly. I don't think I've ever been in Guernsey on mm -hmm. there, but. I know that's interesting. I wonder if maybe Guernsey doesn't have a lot of the like historical looking yeah, I don't know. places left. 
I don't know. Uh, so yeah, uh, getting to some reviews because there was not a lot of production uh, information about this one. Harry Windsor of The Hollywood Reporter gave the film a positive review, uh, in particular praising Lily James, saying, quote, buoyed, buoyed by a reliably appealing star turn wow uh buoyed by a reliably appealing star turn from james this handsome tearjerker mostly sidesteps the tweeness of its title to become somehow both an old-fashioned romance and a detective story trumpeting gender equality end quote trevor johnston of radio times gave the film three out of five stars and said quote it was moderately engrossing and he praised the likable performances uh, particularly that of penelope wilton uh, who I think most people would recognize from Doctor Who, or at least maybe most of our audience. I believe <laughs> she plays. Uh... Is that who I'm thinking of? She was also in Downton Abbey, mm. um, but I thought she was in Doctor. Am I crazy? Maybe she wasn't. Maybe I'm thinking of a different actress. Hold on. Give me two seconds. I have to know. Yeah, I don't know who you're thinking of or who this person I is. I might just be thinking. Of a person, a British person that looks like her. Um, <laughs> let me back up and make sure, because I don't know the names of any British actors ever. No, she was. She's Harriet Jones in Doctor Who. That's right. She's uh, the, the prime yeah, minister. Yes, I thought yes, so. Yes. I thought that was her. I was like, I think it's the prime minister that uh, David Tennant is like, don't you look tired or you look tired or whatever. Um <laughs> Anyways, we need to rewatch Doctor Who. Uh, so, uh, where did I watch him? Okay, Jeffrey McNabb of The Independent awarded the film three out of five stars as well, saying, quote, it's a jaunty and good-natured affair. Mm. Concluding, quote, the result is a film that, while per perfectly enjoyable on its own terms, becomes every bit as cozy, nostalgic, and superficial as the title suggests it is going <laughs> to be, end quote. Well, I do love when things are jaunty. Yes, uh, getting into a, a negative review here, Kevin Maurer of The Times uh, gave it one star, Ooh. called it, quote, an inept and disingenuous froth fest. <laughs> and he criticized no. the lack of chemistry between Lily James and uh, Michelle Huisman. Guy Lodge of Variety also gave it a negative review, criticizing the mystery, saying, quote, it's neither particularly intriguing nor, as the rather straightforward investigation unfolds, terribly surprising end quote hmm. uh, and then also kind of more on the negative side peter bradshaw of the guardian gave it two out of five stars calling it quote naive and a glutinous 40s period exercise in british rom drum solemnity and then wow. finally <laughs> wendy eyed of the observer gave it two stars saying quote even fans of the source novel might struggle with this photogenic but labored adaptation she also called the casting hit or miss and said, quote, the plotting storytelling relies on large chunks of exposition, end quote. So mixed reviews, but overall mm. positive. Like, uh, like, as I said earlier, it's got an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 65 on Metacritic. So it has more positive reviews than negative, but it kind of mixed-ish. Yeah. Mixed to positive reviews, so... There you go. Uh, Katie, where can people watch? Oh, wait, before we get to that, this is a patron request. Yes. This is a patron request from Teresa Schwartz. Who's that? I don't know. Uh, AKA person. my mom. <laughs> Katie's mom. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So fantastic. Uh, this one's for you. <laughs> Katie, where can people watch? Um, the Potato Peels Guernsey Potato the Guernsey <laughs> Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. You can stream it with a subscription 
to Netflix. Oh, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's a Netflix. I would have sworn up and down this had a theatrical release. It did. But well, I it, said it the did. Blo- it, the budget or the block or the it did in Europe. Office. I thought. Oh, okay. But not here. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um. The cast is so, like half of the cast of Downton Abbey. So. Yeah. So so it's on Netflix. Um, here in the U.S. If you're across the pond, I, I don't know. I'm. I don't. I couldn't find anything about whether it, it got just like a home a release of any kind? on like BBC Eight or something. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. Sky One, Sky Twelve, uh, whatever your networks are. Um. Just saying, like here, you're not gonna like find a copy of it at like your library. No. Most um, like. Well, maybe you might luck out. It is a book. It's based on a book. I feel like a library would be more But I don't, I don't know it. if it got like a, a home video release here. Oh, I couldn't find I anything about that. Yeah, but maybe, maybe in England it did. I don't know. I'm sure, yeah, probably. Because <laughs> it did get a theatrical release over there. It did not here. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, it, should be, it should be interesting. I'm, uh, you know, I... I have low expect, not low expectations. I have, I have like almost no expectations yeah. going in because I just don't know what. Yeah, I, my my bar is very even right now. I I don't know anything about yes, this other than that it. it's set in World War Two. Yeah. So I like Jessica Brown Finley. Uh, Lily James is fine in most stuff I've seen her in. Jessica Brown Finley is uh, well. I don't know if you, she's uh, well. She was in Downton Abbey, but um, we know her most. She was great in Harlots. Mm, yeah, we actually stopped watching the show when she <laughs> spoilers is not on. Stopped being on that show, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I really liked her in Harlots. I, I, and then um, Matthew Good is interesting. Usually, he's uh, or not Matthew Good. Matthew Good is Ozymandias from the Watchmen movie, but um, mm. uh, Glenn Powell is fine. Mm-hmm. Usually, he played a the astronaut, one of the guys who walked on the moon. I can't remember which one. Anyways. <laughs> I, no, he he played some astronaut. I don't know. Anyways, there he's got an astronaut name, which is funny that he plays. And Glenn Powell is like an <laughs> yeah, American that's, astronaut. That's total name. astronaut and name. Yeah, he, uh, he played somebody in some astronaut movie. I can't remember. But I didn't see. He might have been in First Man. He might have played uh, Alan. Ch- I don't know. Anyways, that's it. That's all we got for this one. Come back in one week time. We're talking about the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Until that time, guys, gals, I'm Binary Pals and everybody else. Keep reading books. Watching movies. And keep being awesome.